Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. All right, we have reached a landmark in our series, Walking Through Philippians chapter two. I didn't think I would ever preach through a book this slow, but that is where we are today. We are in chapter two of Philippians. If you are just joining us, we are just kind of putting it in first gear, four-wheel drive, and just walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the southern Greek town or city of Philippi. And I can be honest with you, as a kid, always got this confused because you would read through the book of Acts and Paul would talk about going to Asia and so on and so forth. And so when we talked about the book of Philippians, I thought he was talking about the Philippines. And it just is a little confusing at that, probably not the only one. So to clear that up, the Philippines is a country in Asia over in the Orient. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the Roman uh, state, if you will, of Asia means resurrection or rising sun. And so if I was in Greece and I was looking across the Aegean Sea, the land that I would see where the sun rose, where the sun came from, and that's where it got its name, was Asia. But the Philippians is a city in southern Greece by the name of Philippi. Clear as mud? It's great. Let's jump in. Chapter 2, not going to read a lot of verses today, but I am going to give you the secret sauce. One of the secret sauces, because this whole book is about how we as Christians, if we'll live according to God's ways, how we can have a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. I don't know about you, but I want my life full of joy. I'm going to be happy. You know what I'm saying? God didn't make me to be happy. He made me to be holy. But as Christians, if we will live our life according to God's ways and God's will, there's great contentment, great fulfillment, and great joy that comes with that. So you ready for that? Here we go. Philippians 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Easy enough, right? Then he goes in and some how-tos. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of other people better than think of yourself. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take interest in others too. So these issues aren't new to 2022 in North America. This has always been throughout human history that we would be selfish and seeking our own interest. You ever notice that some families or some churches or some companies or some organizations just kind of, it just seems like things just kind of come easy. And I don't, I don't want to get caught up in carrying somebody, comparing somebody else's highlight reels with, with my workout and my practice, but, but there is, a, I believe, a secret sauce to some churches and some organizations and, and some marriages and some families, and I want to talk about that today. Like, the title of today's message is Why Unity Works. I'm going to show you in Scripture that God puts his blessing on people that will not be selfish, not try to impress others, that will walk in humility. And if I will push all my selfish ambition aside and I will live my life for a greater good and row in the same direction and work for a common cause in the kingdom of God, there is great blessing there. Families, if we could learn to walk in unity and walk in covenant and put our selfishness aside, there is great blessing there. In the beginning, when God created, he put 
principles at play in this world. They're not rules. They're not have-tos, but they're ought-tos, okay? They're principles that if I will apply them in my life, I will benefit. Things will work better for me. Let me give you some examples. The principle of planting and harvesting, okay? Now, the secular world likes to call it karma, okay? We don't believe in karma, right? We believe in the biblical principle of what I plant, I harvest that. And I, yes, I'm talking about in the agriculture sense. You can't go out and plant corn and expect tomatoes, okay? But in our own life, when we plant good seeds, there is a harvest that comes back. So there's this principle of planting and harvesting, okay? Then there's the principle of gratitude. Scripture throughout says be thankful. Just, just be thankful. This principle of just being a grateful person, I'm just telling you, Life goes better for you. Even if it doesn't, you still enjoy it more, okay? Then there's the principle of generosity. Pastor Matt just talked about that. I don't have to, but if I do, it unlocks joy. It unlocks blessing. Listen, I'm not gen- I don't give to get anything back, but if I will buy into this principle in my life, if I live open-handed, if I say no to enough things, if I live disciplined enough in my life, then I can give back to this powerful principle, okay? Not because God needs the money. It's not because the church needs the money. It's because I need to be a generous person. Keep in mind, this book of Philippians is about joy, how I can have a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. And in Philippians chapter two, Paul's gonna jump into one of the most powerful principles, I think, that is found in Scripture for people groups to live by, churches, businesses, for nations to live in. All right, let's go back to verse one. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. In his tone, in his writing, there are obvious answers to these first few questions he's asking. It's almost like saying, if fire is hot, is water wet, is OSU God's favorite? You know what I'm saying? It's just an obvious yes to those, right? So if there's any encouragement in belonging to Christ, absolutely, absolutely. Last week, we talked about eternity. If more than anything, no matter what happens in this life, I know that there is an eternity. You know what? There's some encouragement in that. But the Spirit is in me also empowering me to do all things through Christ. That's encouraging. Is there any comfort from his love? Absolutely. I don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Yet God still chose to love me. That's a comforting thought, amen? He's asking spiritual questions to the Philippians. He has taught them the obvious answer should be yes. And Paul's saying, if these things are true, matter of fact, Paul's saying, if you trust me, Listen to me for just a little bit. If these things are true in your life and, and if, if you receive anything from me, I wanna give you some secret sauce of how you can unpack one of the most powerful biblical principles in your life to living a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. It's the power of unity. Why unity works. Paul actually, in his letters, in his writing, keep in mind he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he talks a lot about unity because he also celebrates the diversity and the beauty of uniqueness of the church. Ephesians chapter four, one of my 
favorite passages in the Bible. He talks about unity. He talks about diversity in the church. And then he talks about unity. He loves to challenge and call and compel us believers, put our selfish ambition aside, walk in humility, and be a people of unity. Let me take you back to the beginnings, if you will. The word Genesis means beginnings. I want to go to Genesis 11. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll put it up on the screen for you. But Genesis chapter 11, it's actually probably, it's a really important moment in human history. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and they used the same words. Obviously, you know, they were being fruitful and multiplied, but there wasn't 7 billion people living on the earth. It was still a small people group, okay? As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. This is modern day Iraq-ish, okay? They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Some scholars think there's a little angst in here. There's a little bit of frustration. Again, these are all descendants of Noah, but they heard the stories of the massive destruction that the flood caused. And so maybe they didn't heal their wounds right. Maybe they didn't live according to God's principles. And so some people say that they, they're like, we're gonna build a tower to God and we're gonna have a conversation with him. We're gonna show him. We're gonna be so powerful and show him What's up? Verse five, but the Lord came down, looked at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are, everybody say that word with me, united. The people are united. God's not afraid, but the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. The power of unity, even spoken from God's own mouth, when men and women choose to set selfish ambition aside, do what's best for the greater good, work together in unity, nothing is impossible. Now, God's not afraid of humanity. Oh no, Jesus, they're gonna overrun heaven. That, that's not, he's, he's not afraid of what they're going to do. He just understands the power of unity. And this is a very powerful moment in human history because starting with the second half of Genesis 11, like you keep reading you will now have different nations and different tribes and different languages and different people groups. Diversity now enters into the world. And humanity more than likely is mad about the flood and they were using their time and their resources and their energy to build a wall, but instead God wanted them to build a world. And God recognized the strength they possessed because of unity. In the book of Psalms, there's a, there's a chunk of Psalms that's called it's this collection of songs and it's called the Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent. And Jewish holidays were, were a big deal. And many of those holidays, the Jewish people would go back to Jerusalem. They would go back to where the temple was. And as they would go, they would travel in groups. And many times as these caravans would travel, they would sing these songs, not just to pass the time, but to prepare their heart for the festival and the celebration that they were going in to do. One of those songs of ascent sings of the power of unity. Psalm 133, it's a song of ascent. It says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, when people live together in harmony. 
goes on to talk about in the next verses about the benefits of walking in unity. Verse three, it says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling off of Mount Zion. It's just a beautiful picture of fresh water. For the Lord, there the Lord bestows his blessing. Where? Upon people who are willing to walk in unity, even life forevermore. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, before he would be crucified, he spends time in the garden praying. He wants his disciples to pray with him, but they awful sleepy. And before John falls asleep, he catches the essence, if you will, of what Jesus is praying. And he records some of that in his gospel. John chapter 17, he says this. And this is Jesus in the garden praying. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, for his now 11, but also for whoever will believe in me through their message. Does it ever dawn on you that Jesus in that moment was specifically praying for you and I? He's praying for people who would believe the gospel, who would listen. Verse 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one. God, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In this prayer, he even reveals all that Jesus does, all the things he did, he taught, all that he suffered is through the power of unity. He walks in unity with the Father. He walks in unity with the Holy Spirit. There is a spiritual principle found throughout Scripture that something happens when we humble ourselves. Something happens when I say no to my own selfish ambition, and I say no to my own desires. And that's not a real popular message in America today. But I let the power of love compel me for a greater good to walk in unity even when it's hard, even when I don't get my own way. So Paul is saying, if fire is hot, if water is wet, if there's any encouragement from Jesus, if there's any comfort that's found in his love, if you trust me, if you wanna live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy, learn how to tap into this spiritual principle of unity. I did not bring my hanky this morning, but it kind of feels like it's that kind of day, all right? Let me tell you why unity works. Let me kind of dig a little bit into the psychology of it, okay? Number one, unity brings out God's best in me. Paul will, in the following verses, go on talk about how to do this. Next week, we're gonna talk about the power of humility, okay? But when I push aside what I want, when I push aside my selfish ambition, and I know that doesn't make any sense, right? Because if I'm gonna be happy, I need the things that I want that I want to make me happy, but I'm just telling you, when I push through selfish ambition, there's a spiritual principle that jumps into play. It produces God's better version of me. Matthew chapter 16, that's why Jesus makes this statement. Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, if any man will come after me, first, deny yourself. Then take up your cross and follow. The beginning of a relationship with Jesus is taking myself off the throne of my own life and letting Jesus be the Lord of my life. My spiritual growth, my spiritual journey begins with denying myself. And that does something in me. Makes me a little bit less argumentative. 
It produces humility. It creates this spirit of contentment. Who doesn't want to be friends with that guy? I mean, who doesn't want to go on a good road trip with that person? Where do you want to go? I don't care. I just want to go with you. Where do you want to stop and eat at? I don't care. I'm not fat on accident. You know what I'm saying? I'll eat anything. Whatever sounds good to you. What do you want to do today? Man, I'm easy like Sunday morning. Now, clearly, whoever wrote that was not on the worship team that had to be at church at 715 and get three kids already, you know. Who doesn't want to be friends with that person? You know what I'm saying? And I understand that there's some people that's just part of their nature. They're just easygoing. It's part of their personality. That comes easier for some of them. But for all of us, it is a calling to deny ourselves, to humble ourselves. And when we do that, it brings out God's best in me. Secondly, it brings glory to God. And I hope I can explain this a way that it doesn't make God sound arrogant. Because sometimes we talk so much about, oh, just bringing glory to God. And he, he's all, but, but, but God has angels standing around singing how great thou art. You know what I'm saying? Let me just show you that when we do this and we live as Christians, a spirit-filled or a, a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy, how really that just reflects the beauty of who God is and how his ways work. Jesus gives us the greatest example of humility, and then using that to walk in unity with the Father. That same garden where he was praying, and John recorded part of that, Matthew recorded some of that prayer too. And then Jesus left them a second time, the, the disciples that he was trying to, guys, it's gonna get tough. Will you stay up and pray? Huh? And then they fell asleep. So Jesus leaves again, and he goes and prays, and he says, my Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Like, God, is there any other way? Do I have to go to the cross? Do they have to shed my blood? If there's any, but God, if there's no other way, then I'll drink from this cup. Now, Jesus could have prayed, Lord, is there any way Gabriel could step in? Like, could he go to the cross instead of me? God, this doesn't seem fair. How come the Holy Spirit don't have to be nailed to the cross? He could have said, God, matter of fact, you're up there sitting comfortably on your throne. Everybody just singing how great they are to you. Like, why am I the one gets nailed to the cross? But Jesus didn't. He knew that part of his mission was to endure the shame of the cross. Yes, Jesus got a tough part of the deal. Yet Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. When you and I are willing to humble ourselves like Jesus did in the garden, like Jesus did when they, he allowed them to nail him to the cross, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, we don't always have to fight for our own way. When we walk in the same beauty of unity that nailed Jesus' body to that bloody cross, man, if Christians, if Christians could get this, instead of throwing rocks at each other, in, in, instead, of, instead of fighting, we were freely walking in the power of unity. What a message that would give to the world. Man, how do you, how do you guys, how do you do that? Like y'all are different. He got different color skin than you do. How do you, how do, you do that? Man, I wanna be a part of something that's so powerful. Like you guys actually look like you like each other. 
You ever just walk through Reese's or Walmart and everybody looks mad? Like what if we as Christians could learn this principle of walking in unity and it opened up the secret sauce to having joy in my life? That reflects the glory of God. How do you do that? It's Jesus, brother. It's the glory of God at work in my life. Somebody say amen. So it brings out God's best in me. If I do this, it just paints this beautiful picture of God's creation and in turn it brings glory to God. And then number three, it brings effectiveness to the kingdom. It brings effectiveness to the kingdom. By the way, you were created for a contribution to the kingdom. Live worthy of calling for you have been called. That's not just for people that get the microphone. That's not just for the pastors and the missionaries. You and I, we all have a contribution to the kingdom. And when I walk in unity, it makes that contribution more effective. In the sport of rowing, like there's all different types of classes and groupings. And, and so, but some of them, you have a team of rowers. And maybe you've noticed this. There's a, go ahead and put that picture up there. There's a person in the front. And usually, they are the smallest person. You know what I'm saying? Because they ain't contributing a lot of row power, right? But they have to meet a certain weight criteria. And if they're too small, they actually have to add weights to their boat, right? So there's a, there's a certain amount out there. But you have this team of people rowing and there's a person sitting at the front and that person's called a coxswain or a coxie or whatever. That, that's what you call them. They do a couple of things. Some of the boats have devices that they actually help steer, like they're they're messing with a device that in the back kind of helps to steer the boat. But the most important thing they do is they are making sure that the rowers are actually rowing in rhythm. If one rower gets out of rhythm, and they don't have a lot of space, I mean, you gotta do it together because if I get out of rhythm, then my oar is hitting your oar, and now we got a mess because we're going off track. And so, and literally, if one rower is just a little bit out of rhythm, it actually slows the boat down. Their most important job is to make sure that the rowers are rowing in rhythm, in unison. You've seen very talented sports teams, football teams, basketball teams, that on paper should have won the game. But instead, they lose to an underdog because they have locker room issues. Like you got one player that's playing with selfish ambition, trying to pad his stats or I'm gonna get mine or make himself look good and then the rest of the team just grows frustrated. You have seen massive militaries lose insignificant battles because they are not unified. They don't have a clear mission. They don't communicate. There's not clarity. When we submit ourselves to unity, we can do more for the kingdom together. In Leviticus, God uses this principle of unity to multiply their efforts. Like he's talking to the children of Israel. They've been slaves, and now they're a nation wandering in the wilderness, and he talks about, listen, if you'll just trust me with this principle of unity, it's throughout Scripture. And he says, this is how you go defeat enemies that are bigger and stronger than you. Leviticus 26.3, if you follow my decrees, okay? So first of all, obey God keeps you under his protection. God's ways work all the time. And if you're careful to obey my commands, then verse eight, he says, five of you will chase 100, and 100 of you will chase 10,000. Now, that's a lot of math going on right there, all right? So I'm gonna do the math. Let me do the ratio for you. Put that next slide up, that five will chase 100. That's a one to 20 ratio. 
means if I'm one of those five, I'm responsible for taking out 20. But then if I'm walking in unity and there's a bigger group of us, there's more effectiveness, now the ratio goes from one and 20 to one and 100. I want that kind of anointing in my life, amen? If you are walking in God's ways and you're walking in unity, it multiplies your efforts. The book of Ecclesiastes, it's considered a book of wisdom, meaning King Solomon at the end of his life after he had pursued every pleasure, his own selfish ambition, if he wanted it, he took it, didn't matter the cost, it didn't matter because he was wealthy. At the end of his life, he writes this reflection on life and this is what he said. Listen, two people are better off than one. You think, I just, I don't need anybody, I don't need people, I'm, I'm people just hurt me. But, but what Solomon would say, listen, two people are better than one, or actually you can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one's there to help you get up. When you fall on the ice, somebody gonna help you get up. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It's the power of unity. It makes us more effective for the kingdom. Think about the principle of unity in modern history. Think about December 7th, 1941. Or think about December 8th, 1941, when President Roosevelt gave his famous day of infamy speech to a joint session of Congress all politics were aside. That day, there were no Republicans, there were no Democrats, there were Americans who stood united. And for four years, Americans would fight, we would stand united, which I believe would propel us into one of the greatest eras of this nation's history. September 11th, terrorist attacks on our own home front. But September 12th, Americans grieved together, Americans prayed together, Americans worked together. September 11th, there were no Republicans, there were no Democrats, there were Americans united against acts of terror. Unfortunately, far too many times, it takes the worst to bring out the best in us. I can't say we've ever been more divided in a nation. In the early 1860s, we were brother fighting brother in a civil war. But what if if only the power of the gospel, if we'd only listen to some of these biblical principles, if the power of the gospel could guide our lives and how we make decisions and put aside our selfish ambitions and humble ourselves as Jesus humbled himself to the cross and live our life for a good greater than our own and live in unity the way that Paul asked us to, the amazing work that we could do for the kingdom. Amen. Thank you. I got it. And I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now because you watch a lot of TV. I've had the same thought. Even a moment ago when we were praying for Ukraine, and, and there's some of us that just wrestle, and, and oh, I wish Pastor Matt would pray this, and I'll pray, listen, these are divided times. And there are times that we as Christians must take a stand. It's like if we don't take a stand, who will? So how can I do that and still walk in unity? Because sometimes there are people that I just can't walk in unity with, so what do I do? That, that, that's kind of a fair question, isn't it? 
The Bible calls us to walk in unity. However, times there are times in the Bible that Scripture gives us the opportunity, the obligation, and a calling to take a stand. And I'm gonna walk through some times when I do need to create some disunity. I do need to create some discord and take a stand, okay? The first one is when action goes against God's word, God's ways, and God's will. I can't walk in unity with you. I gotta stand. I gotta stand even if I'm the only one. Even if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if there's three of us standing in a whole nation bending to some false god, I have got to stand for God's word, God's ways, and God's will. There are times that immorality must be resisted. If someone, if something is going to act immoral, if they're gonna act against God's word, I'm called to take a stand, and we're not gonna walk in unity. I'm not gonna walk in unity with immorality. Numbers chapter 13 tells an interesting story. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're right there at the bank of the Jordan River and he sends 12 spies. He gets a leader from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He pulls these leaders in. He said, listen, I want you to go spy out the land, come back and give us a report. Those 12 leaders from each tribe, now they're not the leaders of the nation of Israel. That was God through his man Moses. But these 12 leaders of their tribe, they come back and 10 of them are just negative. That we are not able. You've dealt with we are not ablers, right? 10 of them just spread a negative report and people love negativity, man. That report just spread through, that spread through. And and God said, listen, listen, I'm gonna give it to you. But 10 of them said, there's no way. I mean, these 10 guys walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. These 10 guys saw the plagues that God did in Egypt, but when they're standing right here and God said, I wanna give you this land, they're like, man, there, there, is, there is no way. That's the time when you need to take a stand for God's will and God's way. When Caleb and Joshua took a stand, sometimes it's not prudent to walk in unity. Someone needs to speak up against a popular opinion. So I need to stand when it goes against God's word, God's ways, and God's will. Secondly, I must stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. So if principle one is good, if they're following God and they're following, I mean, there's no immorality going on, then number two, to whom much is given, much is required. And I must stand for those who can't stand for themselves. John chapter eight tells the story of a woman who's caught in adultery. And she was thrown at the feet of Jesus. They only brought the woman, didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman. Verse six of that chapter says they were trying to trap Jesus by getting him to say something that they could use against him. And in that moment, Jesus took a stand for a woman who could not stand for herself. But he did the same thing for you, and he did the same thing for me. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He did something for me I could not do for myself. It's an old hymn. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt. I wanna start singing, but I don't wanna punish you that way for coming to church, right? I needed someone to wash my sins away, and now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt 
that I could never pay. He stood for me when I couldn't stand for myself. Sometimes I am called, sometimes I am compelled to bring disunity. I'm called to discord for those who are weak, for those who are defenseless, for those who are victims and unable to stand for themselves. I might have to rock the boat a little bit, but I do have to stand for someone who cannot stand for themselves. Amen, everybody? And so principle number three is not so much about taking a stand, not so much about creating discord and and so on and so forth, but, but sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just time, and there is a civil way to say, brother, I love you, but it's just time. Beautiful example found in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas was a guy that, that took a stand for Paul when nobody trusted him. Barnabas is just, he's Mr. Encourager, kind of that shepherd, if you will, in his spiritual gifting. And, and so like he took a chance on Paul when, when the Christians didn't trust Paul. And so Barnabas was a guy of second chances. And so they had been on one mission journey where they had gone and, and met all of these people and started churches, and now it's time to go on their next mission journey. And Barnabas wants to bring his nephew along, a guy by the name of John Mark. The only problem is the last time that Mark went with them on their first missionary journey, Mark had an issue. And Mark got scared. And Mark actually deserted them. And so Paul, like, man, I ain't got, I ain't got room for dead weight. And Paul was not a fan of bringing him along. Acts 15, 39. It says the conversation became so contentious, like the contention became so sharp that they just parted ways. I'm sure they had this moment of words, but they settled it civilly, like they didn't throw hands. You know what I'm saying? There are times neither party is immoral, neither party is wrong. God's ways, God's will, that's not being broken. There's nothing immoral happening. There just comes a point that maybe I can no longer resolve your issues. Maybe I can no longer walk in agreement with you. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? I can love you, I can cheer for you, I can pray for you, but there comes a point where I just don't agree with you. And there's some freedom there. As long as I'm still walking in humility, the same humility that put Christ on the cross. As long as I'm still walking in the love that God commanded us to love your neighbor, and then it's okay. Partway, the kingdom actually was multiplied. Paul took Silas, Barnabas took John Mark, and now instead of one mission trip, there became two. So there's some freedom there. But I know this, I better find somebody that I can walk in unity with. Because if you're not, you might be the problem. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Water wet. It made me truly happy by agreeing wholehearted with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Part of life's secret sauce, living a life full of joy, doing what Christ did, humbled himself, pushed aside his selfish ambition, walking in unity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and then seeing God bless them. One more question. Are you walking in unity with God this morning? Do you know him? How are you and God doing? Like, here's his message, plain, pure, and simple, that all, going back to Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning, all have sinned. All of us have made mistakes. And because of that sin, now there's a separation between 
you and God, and, and you, you feel it. Like there's just something inside of you. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of every man. So every human being always wonders what, what's happening after I die and, and will, will I be in unity with God? So all of us have made mistakes. And the good news is that while I was in that sin, Jesus humbled himself to the joy that was set before him on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And he let them nail him to a cross and shed his blood and gave his life to cover and forgive your sins. Here's our part. Pretty simple, actually. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart, you will be saved. There's no magic formula. You don't have to walk an aisle. I'm, I'm not this morning want to embarrass you or anything. I just want to make sure before you leave out those doors today that you're in unity with God, that you're in right relationship with God. So all across this room, nobody moving. Just give me just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you know that you're not in right relationship with God, I invite you at your seat just to pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And just right there at your seat, just pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I made a lot of mistakes. And I don't want that life anymore. Would you come into my life? Begin to change me? Would you make me a new person? Would you save me? I don't want that old life anymore. Today, Jesus, I completely surrender all that I am. Making you the Lord of my life. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.